Welcome to the True Vine Podcast. Wherever you are listening, we hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and brings perspective that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Come on and clap your hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah. For the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Amen. His mercy is everlasting. So good to be in the house of the Lord on this beautiful Wednesday night and uh, to worship the Lord with you all. I am so appreciative of the opportunity to be here. Thank you. It beats that snowstorm back east. Amen. So thank you. Uh, In the book of Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to be reading verse 14 through verse 18. The book of Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 through verse 18. When you have it, say amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 18. Um, I usually read out of the New King James version of the Bible um, because I'm a little backslidden. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 18. The Bible reads, is so in the name of Jesus Christ. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I want to speak to you here um, on this uh, subject. Do all things without grumbling. Do all things without grumbling. Father, we pray that you would help us to have the right attitude in our approach to serving you. Help us to never have a grumble, a murmur, a complaint, but Lord, to serve you with gladness, to come into your presence with thanksgiving, to understand that everything we are, we owe to you. What do we have that we have not received? that is your question to us we have received everything from your hand so help us to take that into consideration and the way that we go about our christian walk in jesus name we pray amen and amen god bless you as you're seated turn to your neighbor tell them i absolutely love your shoes tonight So we live in a society that absolutely thrives on complaining. Every generation seems to be giving birth to another generation of complainers. And the problem seems to be getting worse with each generation. How ironic it is that nations that seem to be more indulged and more advanced are the very ones leading the charge as it pertains to complainers. 
there seems to be a correlation between how much people possess and how much complaining possesses them. You see, we live in a culture where our young people seem to be discontent about everything. They love to complain about everything. Nothing is ever the way that they would like it. They, they go through life not finding enjoyment in any one thing. We have a whole generation that has resurrected the spirit of protest, protesting and complaining and bickering and, and grumbling and offended at everything. And we protest everything nowadays, so much so that I read the other day that a group of students went to their uh, professor at Harvard and said, we have a group that would like to protest. Do you know of a good cause? It's as as if the spirit of protest takes precedence over the cause itself. That's the kind of generation we are living in, a generation of complainers, generation of complainers. As a species, we are just wired naturally to have discontent and discontent breeds complaint we complain and we complain often and before you sit there and judge everyone else for their complaining may i suggest that you are not exempt from this problem we are all complainers if you don't believe me, let, let's see if you identify with uh, uh, some of these complaints. We complain about traffic jams. Anybody, do I have a witness up in here? Amen. <laughs> because, you know, it's, it's really cool right up until the point where you get to Temecula. That's really where it starts getting on your last nerve. <laughs> we complain about fast drivers. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something worse than fast drivers, and it's slow drivers. We complain about people who cut you off on the freeway. We complain about long lines at the DMV. We complain about short lines. If you are putting together an event and you look outside and there's a short line, you complain about that. We complain about any lines. We complain about crying babies. May I... Well, y'all don't travel as much maybe as I do, but uh, that gets on my last nerve. I'm going to tell you another one that gets on my last nerves, bad grammar. Any grammar police up in this house? I am the grammar chief of police. Amen. Bad grammar. How about puppies with sharp nails? How about stuck zippers? Amen. Lukewarm food. You go to your favorite restaurant and they bring your food out and it's lukewarm. It's just not the same. How about misspelled names at Starbucks? How about the head coach's decision on Monday morning? How about complaining about the government and gas prices? Somebody said amen to that. Gas prices, and uh, how about uh, uh, cryptocurrency prices? Woo, nobody talked to me about that. How about your neighbor's bad breath? There are some things that are a worthy complaint. That's one of them. 
Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, hallelujah. <laughs> How about Apple chargers? Those cords just... Mm, not enough space on your Google Drive or washing dishes, young people, doing any chores or people who wear Crocs in public. My God have mercy. And the only thing that makes it worse is when you wear tube socks with your Crocs. <laughs> Bless the name of the Lord. And on and on and on. We are by nature complainers. Complainers. That same spirit has come into the church. Services are too long. Our services are too short. There's no more Sunday night service. Or they're too modern. Or they're too old school. Music is too loud. Or I can't hear it enough. Platform standards are too strict. Or music practice is too early. Or not enough ushers. Not enough Sunday school teachers. Not enough monitors. And again, sometimes there are worthy complaints. Or pastor's wife isn't as involved. Or pastor's wife is too involved. And they ask for too much money. Or pastor didn't shake my hand. Or the youth group is too worldly. Or the media team lacks talent. And on and on and on. We just love to complain. There's a sense in which complaining is characteristic or endemic of our culture, but there's also a sense in which complaining is not unique to this culture. As a matter of fact, complaining can be traced all the way back to the beginning of time. The first complaining human being who ever walked this earth was the first human being who ever walked this earth, and his name was Adam. How did he complain? God, the woman you gave me. That, ladies and gentlemen, was the first complaint. God, the woman you get. His complaint was not against the woman. His complaint was against God. God, I was just fine out here, minding my business, eating my vegetables from the list of all permissible trees, petting my sheep, tending to the garden. But it was you who thought it would be a great idea. For me to have a woman by my side. I know you're supposed to be a perfect God. But a woman? Really? You mean that old cow over there wouldn't have been better company than a woman? That's, that's basically what Adam was saying in a nutshell. But complaining did not stop with Adam, ladies and gentlemen. Cain complained to God about his judgment in Genesis. Oh, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Moses complained to God in the book of Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name? He has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all and how about Aaron and Miriam complain against Moses in Exodus 12 Miriam and Aaron they spoke against Moses because of the 
Cushite woman whom he had married. And just a little note right here. Miriam was struck with leprosy for complaining and Moses pleaded on her behalf. It was Moses, the one who was complained against, who pleaded on her behalf. And guess what? The Lord had mercy upon her and only cast that leprosy on her for seven days. And you may say, well, God is a forgiving God. And yes, he is. However, she had to wait outside of the camp for seven days. And the Bible said until she was considered clean. And this is important. The Bible said that the people had to wait on her to get clean for seven days before proceeding on their journey. Can I tell you, sometimes it's not that God won't forgive you. More than likely, he will. God is a merciful God. But sometimes our complaint just delays the process. It delays the journey. It delays the blessing. It keeps us seven days in the wilderness longer than we need it to be where we need it to be. I would hate to think the things in your own life that are being delayed by your complaint and your grumbling. I would hate to think of the manner of revival the Lord has in store for some of our churches that is being delayed by some of our complaining. Jonah complained because he was mad that God saved the Ninevites. And in Jonah chapter 4, he said that it displeased him exceedingly. And he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, oh, Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Bible is full from its beginning of people who just knew how to complain and complain and complain and complain. See, when the Bible talks about complaint, it's important to know that there are two ways to come to God with our complaints. There is a good way to complain before the Lord, and there is an evil way to complain before the Lord. To be temporarily dissatisfied with something or someone isn't inherently sinful. It is the expression of our human condition. We will all be dissatisfied. As a matter of fact, the book of Romans says that we who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption as sons. Yes, there is satisfaction there. Yes, that is normal. That is the sign and a symptom of our human condition groaning before the Lord over something or someone that is causing some measure of dissatisfaction is an honest expression of what it's like to experience the trouble and, uh, trouble and anguish and grief that in this fallen world that we live in. God does not mind this kind of complaining. In fact, he encourages it all throughout the book of Psalms, especially the Psalms of lament. If you ever read the Psalms of lament, God teaches us how to properly complain before him. 
In Psalms 142, verse 1 and 2, David said, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. You see, these Psalms of lament teach us that it's okay to go before our God with our sorrows and our anger and our fear and our longing and our confusion and our repentance and our desolation and our disappointments and even with our depression. But just as long as we acknowledge that in our complaining, God is still sovereign, that God's will is what matters the most, that whether we live or whether we die, we are still his. You see, almost every psalm of lament, it calls the lamenting souls to trust in God. Trust in God, oh soul. Put your faith in God. Yes, I am lamenting. Yes, I am crying because of my human condition. But look up to the hills from whence cometh your help. Where does your help come from? Your help is in the name of the Lord. And so lament in the Bible. It must be done in a way that acknowledges that God is still on the throne. That his will is still good regardless of whether the answer is yes or the answer is no. Regardless of whether I'm on the mountaintop or I'm in the valley, your will is good. Your will is good. I'm complaining over my circumstance, but I'm not complaining over the God who put me in these circumstances. If this is your will, so be it. I will live through it. It's okay to go to the Lord with your humanness as long as you acknowledge that he's still sovereign and that he's still good. As long as you wipe your tears after you've poured out your complaint and praise him because he's never left you nor forsaken you because his will is good and, and acceptable and perfect. As long as you know and acknowledge that every good gift comes from above, that in everything give thanks for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. It's okay okay to go before the Lord as long there's, as there's a point where you actually dry up your tears and say, but oh God, I won't complain anymore. I know it's in your hands. I know you've got me covered. I know the steps of a good man are ordered by God and he delights in his way. I know it, oh God, that you have selected me for this process and I will trust you through it. There's another type of complaining, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible often refers to this type of complaining as murmuring or grumbling in the New King James Version. Grumbling, grumbling. And it warns us over and over again not to do it. That's not the right way to do it. Our text simply says do all things without grumbling. Grumbling isn't just the expression of dissatisfaction and annoyance about something or someone, but it's ultimately a dissatisfaction uh, against God's providential will in your life. It is saying, I know that the steps of a good man are ordered by God, but I don't trust that you've ordered mine correctly. That 
is the root. Grumbling declares that God is not sufficiently good, that he's not sufficiently faithful, that he's not loving, that he's not wise, that he's not powerful. When we grumble, we are passing judgment on God's rule and God's reign over his created world. When we complain in this manner, we are essentially saying that if God were as good as advertised, then he would treat us a lot better, that he would run this universe a lot better and more to our liking. Grumbling is not just respectfully complaining to God about our circumstances. Grumbling is complaining against God. And that is not just any sin. It is a very dangerous sin. It is part of the sin of pride and presumption. When you feel like you are entitled to something more than you're getting. Grumbling is believing that you deserve better than what God has allowed in your life. That's what grumbling is. In the book of Jude, grumbling is characteristic of false teachers and apostates. The Bible said in Jude, uh, uh, verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And this is talking about apostates. This is talking about false teachers. And then grumbling is not just an act of muttering your displeasure under your breath. That That's, that's not really inherently sinful. That's not what that is. But grumbling refers to the attitude behind the action. Grumbling is the outward expression of an inward, a cold, a bitter, and a resentful condition. It is an outward expression of what's on the inside. There are roots of bitterness that are de- that God has dealt with you about, and here you are just muttering under your breath, I just can't, I just don't want to. Why me? Why do I have to? What's going on here? There is uh, there's an outward expression of what's deep on in the inside. Some people have made grumbling a part of their lifestyle and they have made their lifestyle to show a strong discontent for life in general. You're discontent about your home, discontent about your school, discontent about your church, your family, your lot in life, where you find yourself, your relationship status, your marriage, where you live, how little you have your church your youth group how little you know the kind of family you grew up in how you uh, manage your money your handicaps your illness your weaknesses you're just discontent and dissatisfied you're always lacking something you're forever short of your goal and this ladies and gentlemen is a sin before the lord I've heard some preachers state that it's okay to complain to God about God. Please, saints, be very careful. The Bible is very clear about this. Please be very careful who you listen and trust with the word of the Lord. The book of Paul, or I'm sorry, the book of Romans, and Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 9 and 20, who are you, O men, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Why have you made me like this? Friends, I'm not sure if you're aware, but this is God's world. The psalmist says it is he that made us 
and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In other words, it's God's world. Many will take the example of people in the Bible who complain against God and they'll say, you see, it's okay to complain. Look, everybody's doing it. Folks, you shouldn't be looking at the example of the grumblers. If you want a better indication of whether God wants you to grumble or not, then you should be looking at how God responded to their complaints. Look at Job, for example. When Job grumbled, Job struggled with his afflictions. He found it impossible not to grumble that God would let one as righteous as he was to suffer greatly. How many have ever been there in your life? Come on, let's be honest. So many times we, we ask the question, well, why me? You know, I've served you. I've, I paid my tithes. I, I don't even wear shorts. My God, I don't want any women lusting after my knees. <laughs> Job struggled with his affliction. He said, I'm a just guy. I'm cool. I'm righteous. I've, I, I mean, I, 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 I've read your commandments. I know your commandments, and I've fulfilled them. The Lord heard him out, and he patiently heard every complaint there was. And then finally, God answered Job's complaint. In Job chapter 38, this is what he said. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Words without knowledge. See, every time you complain, you are darkening God's plan with words without knowledge. Some of us are complaining about unanswered prayers, but we just don't have enough knowledge to justify that complaint. You're speaking words without knowledge. You just don't know all that God knows. Don't you know that God answers our prayers exactly the way that we would have answered them if we knew everything that he knows about the universe, about the past, about the present, about the future. If you knew everything that God knew, you would answer your own prayers the way that God has answered your prayers. How serious, how serious does, seriously does God take this uh, aggression by Job, accusing him of being unfair? How seriously does God take the grumbling of Job against his character? Well, I'll tell you how seriously he takes it. It's in the next verse. He says, brace yourself like a man before he told them the answer he said i want you to brace yourself like a man another version says gird up your loins do you know what people why people would gird up their loins in that time you would gird up your loins for action before a man could run he'd have to gird up his loins before he went to war he'd have to gird up his loins that's what he was saying he's saying those are fighting words job you're you're causing me to tussle against you. This is not just going to come. You know, your, your answer is not going to come while you're at ease. These are fighting words. And if you truly want to fight against God, then put your dukes up. Gird up your loins. Stand up like a man and hear my answer. These are fighting words against me. 
Brace yourself like a man, he said. Then he said, I will question you. I will question you. You've questioned me enough. And now I will question you. And you shall answer me. And this is what God said. He said, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And then he went on and on and on. And after God's response, Job had to admit in Job 42 and verse 3, he said, you asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? He said, you asked that? He said, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand it was things too wonderful for me which I did not know and then in verse 6 he says therefore I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes the book of Habakkuk the prophet Habakkuk was another one who complained bitterly that God was not being just by allowing wickedness to go unchecked he demanded an answer from God and God answered and said, the just shall live by their faith. Listen, in Pentecostal circles, we use that verse and we say, you see, Woo, we need faith, faith for healing, faith for this. That's not what he was talking about. When he said the just shall live by faith, faith here means trust. In other words, the righteous trust the goodness of God in spite of their circumstances. That's what he was answering. He was saying the just shall live by their faith. Faith, when everything around you says God is not good, you've got to have the faith to believe God is still good. God is still on the throne. I find no fault in him. God is perfect. God is holy. God is kind. God is transcending. God knows what way I take. God knows what is best for me. That's what the just shall live by their faith means faith is not the faith to bring you out of the trial it is the faith to trust in a God while you're in the trial to trust in his goodness to trust in his kindness to trust that he knows what is best oh in other words, the righteous trust the goodness of God in spite of their circumstances. The just have an unshakable ability to trust the motives of God when they don't see the miracles of God. And when God answered, this was Habakkuk's response. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones and I trembled in myself. He said, that's when I heard his response. I wasn't waiting. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting all that. I complained, and then he gave me his answer, and rottenness filled my body. Be careful when you complain against God. You're not at that level of wisdom to question God's judgments. Oh, saints, hear me out. Be careful with your grumbling against God. Be careful with following people who say that it's okay to complain against God. God, be very careful. The book of Numbers chapter 13, there were 12 spies that went to the land of Canaan to spy out the land and to know whether the people who dwelt in it were strong or weak, few or many. 
Whether the land they dwelt in was good or bad, whether the cities they inhabited were like camps or strongholds, whether the land was rich or poor. Well, 10 of those spies came back with a negative report. We can't go up there, they said. Those people are giants. We look like grasshoppers before them. Only two of the spies came back believing the promises of God that they were to take possession of the land that God had promised. One was Caleb, the other was Joshua. And here's the interesting part. When those 10 spies came back with their negativity, whose report did the people of God believe? The 10 negative spies or the two positive spies? You see, as a, as a species, we are wired as negative people. We tend to believe the worst in people. We tend to believe the worst in situations. Perhaps to avoid disappointment, we just tend to go with the worst, with the worst at all times. We believe the negative before we believe the positive. And you know what happened on that day? The people complained before the Lord. Numbers chapter 14, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron they complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them if only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims would it not be better for us to return to Egypt so they said one to another let us select the leader and return to Egypt the people were so quick to trust the word of the 10 negative spies that when Caleb and Joshua tore their garments after the people grumbled and they, they, they said no no why are you doing this please don't rebel against the Lord you see complaint to grumble is the same as rebellion against the Lord when they grumbled the two spies came back and said please don't rebel against the Lord it was God who put you in this circumstance. It was God who put you where you're at. Please don't rebel against him by grumbling and complaining and bickering. No, please don't rebel against the Lord. And the Bible said that when they did this, the people lifted up stones to kill Joshua and Caleb. They were so mad at their positivity. They were so mad that they wouldn't join the crowd that they lifted up stones to stone them and to kill them. But watch what the Lord, how the Lord responded in the book of Numbers and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me and you know what happened the people who complained were not allowed to enter into the land that flowed with milk and honey the Lord took out a whole generation before allowing them to enter into that land they died in their wilderness because they grumbled against God. Not only did they die in their wilderness, watch what happened to the ones that caused the people to grumble. The ten spies in verse 36 and 37. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. God killed them for causing his people to grumble against him. Be careful.
careful who you follow. Get careful who's telling you that it's okay to complain against God. Be careful with people in your life whose negativity is causing you to grumble against God. Be careful with people who are causing you to stray away and to look at your Christian life and your Christian journey in a manner that causes you to grumble about it. There were some who never made it to the promised land because of their complaint and those who bore the wrath of God upon themselves in the form of a plague for causing the people of God to complain before the Lord. You can't look into the history of biblical Israel without seeing a people who were historically saturated with a spirit of complaint and a spirit of grumbling. The people God had chosen, they were led out of Egypt. They saw God's 10 epic plagues against one of the most powerful human beings the world had ever seen, Pharaoh. God parted the Red Sea for them, brought them out of Egypt, partly with the Egyptians' wealth. God had been so good to them. But as soon as they got out of Egypt, they began to complain, and it just never stopped. God brings them out of Egypt, and, and, and but it's not the way that they wanted to be led out of Egypt. They wanted a stretched limo waiting on them to bring them through a, a nice, peaceable highway into their Taj Mahal. But that's not the route that God took. So they said sarcastically in Exodus 14, because there were no graves in Egypt? Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? And also Pharaoh starts mounting after, moving after them. And again, they begin to complain. And of course, God did a marvelous thing. He opens up the Red Sea. He drowns Pharaoh's entire army and he saves them. They walk through dry land. They came out on the other side of the Red Sea safe and sound by God's miraculous power. Moses is so excited that he breaks out in song and it's a powerful song that commemorates God's miraculous deliverance. Even Miriam the Bible says took a timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. This was a joyous occasion but oh God no sooner was the music and the dancing over when after three days in the wilderness they arrived into a city and found no water and guess what happened just one verse removed from the singing just one verse from Miriam singing this is what you get now when they came to Mara they could not drink the waters of Mara for they were bitter therefore the name of it was called Mara and the people complained against Moses saying what shall we drink just one verse from the singing God provided water in a feast 12 springs of water 70 date palms it was a great miraculous and powerful time and then they left again into the wilderness after their feast and look what happens in the next chapter after they just had a feast <laughs> 
God provided a feast. Here comes Exodus 16, just, just the next the next, uh, uh, just the next section, just Exodus 16. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to him, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread uh, to the full, uh, to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Hunger? They just had a feast. Pharaoh's army defeated. Red Sea open. They're still grumbling about hunger. Nothing is ever enough. Nothing is ever enough. And now they arrived at their next location. They find no water. And guess what happened in Exodus 17? Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us in our children and our livestock with thirst so Moses cried out to the Lord saying what shall I do with this people they are almost ready to stone me over and over again the people of Israel forget God's goodness 40 years later God is now providing manna in a desert for them oh the soles of their feet have not been wasted and they get a craving for meat because oh manna is just not enough and guess what they did in numbers 11 the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving they just lusted after meat they just had a craving for meat and guess what they did so the children of israel also wept again and said who will give us meat to eat we remember the fish which we ate freely in egypt the cucumbers the melons leeks the onions and the garlic but now our whole being is dried up there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes they complained about angels food they complained about manna from heaven they complained against God and after this there was a story how Korah rebelled against Moses and Aaron the Lord caused the earth to swallow them up for their rebellion the people ran frightened by this you would think that they would still be in such shock that they would dare not speak against God God just swallowed up the people for complaining and grumbling. But listen to what happened. Number 16, on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel, on the next day, they just watched the earth open up and swallow people who complained and grumbled. And they ran for fear of their lives. But on the next day, the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, you are saying, well, preacher, but that was the Old Testament. Yeah, that, that, was, that was the way that uh, God dealt with the people of the Old Testament. That has nothing to do with us in the time of grace. People hear me. I, I, I've got to start bringing this to a close. Y'all need to forgive me. I've been working on this for the last three days. Shut up in my room. This is like 16 hours worth of a sermon, so I'm going to have to break this down right now. Listen, listen to this. Listen to this. 
I draw your attention to the book of 1 Corinthians 10. This is very important. Paul here is referring to the people of Israel as examples to us. Starting verse 1, he says, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Verse 5, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. God did all of these things. God provided all of these things for them, but he was not well pleased with them. Why? For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. That is, they died in the wilderness. God killed a whole generation. We have seen all of these examples in the Old Testament already in this message. And now he's going to name specific examples of things that the chosen people who had the glory cloud, the saw the miraculous works of God, and had Christ follow them in the desert, did wrong. And this is how he continues in verse 6. He says, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things after, as they also lusted. That's the first sin. They lusted after evil things. Do not become idolaters as were some of them. That's what they did. They were idolaters. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell for their sexual immorality. He says, don't do that either. Well, we're all good with that. Verse 9, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. And then watch verse 10, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. In that great list of evils that the children of Israel committed was this last one. They complained and they were destroyed. And somebody is going to ask, but what do they have to do with us? That, that's, that has nothing to do with us. That was the people of Israel. Well, here it goes. Verse 11. Now, all these things happen to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. All of the complaints were written in that book for your admonition. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Ladies and gentlemen, this is no small sin. When you live in an attitude of grumbling, this is a symptom of a deeply rooted spiritual problem. And what is that problem? It is a failure to trust the goodness of God in your life. I end with this. The book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 37 through 39. Who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? You know, the circumstance you find yourself as evil as it may be, it would have never happened had God not allowed it. Who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? 
Does not the Most High send both calamity and good? You better hear it. And then verse 39 is the key one. Then why should we, mere humans, complain when we are punished for our sins? We complain so much. You know what the prophet is saying here? You're a sinner. Why do you complain about your lot in life? About where you find yourself? About your ministry? About your family? About your church? Always grumbling. Always complaining. Well, why am I single? Well, why can't I do this? Well, why don't I have any money? Well, look at such and such. Well, why do I find myself where I find myself? I thought I'd be better off by now. The Lord is looking and saying, do you not understand? You can't command things to happen without the Lord's permission. I've got you right where I want you. Not everybody's going to be wealthy. Not everybody is going to have all their limbs. Not everybody is going to be healed at all times and no illness or sickness will assault their bodies. Even Paul, the greatest of all apostles, said he cried out three times that the Lord would take away a thorn in his flesh and the Lord said, no! Three times! No! 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 Therefore, my beloved, is the context of our verse. As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You know what that means to work out your own salvation? I means salvation is not just something you say at an altar. Salvation is not just mental assent. Salvation is not just something you profess or confess. Oh, God, I believe that you are the son of God who came to that. that that's not even demons believe that the Lord is one. And they tremble at that thought. They know it. They confess it. That's not enough. The book of Matthew, there were some people who said, we cast out demons in your name. That's more than just confessing. That's gifts of the Spirit. They said, we cast out demons in your name. The Lord said, that's not going to be enough. You are a worker of iniquity. Depart from me. I never knew you. Now, here's what I want you to see from this. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, this salvation thing, you've got to work it out. There, you've, there's an outwork of, you're saved. But the characteristic of those who are saved is that they work out their salvation. You are saved in Christ Jesus unto good works. Those who don't work out their salvation are not saved in the first place. 
You don't work for salvation. You work from salvation. Salvation will cause, see, it is God who will put in you. When you are saved, God puts it in you. The do and the will of his good pleasure. For what? To work out your salvation. To walk in holiness. That's what work out your salvation means. You walk in holiness. You walk in peace with all men. You walk without grumbling. That's what work out your salvation means. Work out your salvation means you do good works. You give to the poor. You turn the other cheek to him who smites one. You, you, you go the extra mile. That's what work your own salvation means. Work out by the power of the Spirit and through the Word of God. You work out your salvation. Salvation is not static. Salvation is not something that just happens one day. Salvation is a process. Every single day, you work out your salvation. How do you work out your salvation? You serve. You minister. You love. You, you are hospitable. You are forgiving. You don't hold grudges. You let go of roots of bitterness. This is how you work out your salvation. And it's in that context of you working out your own salvation with fear and trembling that Paul says, do all things. without complaining or disputing. Do all things without grumbling as you're working out your salvation. Stop saying, well, why do I have to dress like this? Well, why do I have to go here? Well, why do I have to serve so much? Well, why do I have to give? This is working out your salvation. Why do I have to serve? Why do I have to wake up so early? Why am I the only one that's coming to church to clean it? Why do I always, and there's no recognition, and there's no this, and there's no that. No! The Lord said, if you're not going to serve me with gladness, then don't serve me at all. If you're not going to be a cheerful giver, then don't give at all. I don't want people doing things out of obligation and duty. I don't want people doing things because they have to. You better work out your own salvation, but do it without grumbling. You better love coming to the house of God. You better love singing in the choir. You better love giving your offering. You better love working out your salvation. Do it as unto the Lord. Do it as unto the Lord. And even when you find yourself in very tough situations, Lift up your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. You've been so good to me. I'm a sinner. I deserve this. I deserve worse than this. But it's because of your mercy that I haven't been consumed. It's an attitude of gratitude. It's an attitude that can say in all things, amen. 
It's an attitude that can say like Paul said. Paul said, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatsoever state that I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be abased. I can be, I can abound. I can have food. I don't need food sometimes. I, I can do all things. God has been way too good. Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering for your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. I'm dying for you, for your cause, for your faith. I'm dying in my ministry. I'm dying. I'm about to be persecuted and executed in a jail cell. And even if I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering, I rejoice. For this is the will of God concerning me in Christ Jesus. And likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Would you just take a moment all over this building and lift your hands and say, God, I am so sorry. I have complained so much. That's all I do. I only come in prayer when I have a complaint before you. That's all I know how to do. Lord, what about this? Lord, how about that? Lord, I need this. Lord, what about others? Lord, how about this? Lord, I can't anymore. The Lord is saying, oh, God, do you not understand my grace? Let my grace be sufficient to you. Let my strength be made perfect in your weakness. Do you not understand there are others who only wish that they had half the ministry you have? There are others who wish they had the resources you have. There are others who are in a lot worse conditions. I've been so good. And all I hear from you is, ugh, again, and I have to, and why? And he says, it's a sin that tests me. It's a sin of rebellion against my will for your life. Do you not know that I've ordered your steps in my way? Do you not know that I've got control over this whole world, that nothing that ever happened in this life didn't happen without my permission? I'll never forget, we were at the hospital the night or the day that my grandmother passed to the next life. And I'll never forget, uh, the Lord needed me to be there to experience this just as a young man. I knew how, how incredibly tough it was on my father and his and my uncles. But I'll never forget as uh the doctor came in. My dad had been crying all all day. I had never seen him cry before. He had been crying over his mother, who was relatively young still, who had shown no signs before that of any illness whatsoever. It happened so quickly. The strokes came so quickly. And uh, we had just talked to her, and she seemed to be in good spirits while at the hospital. And all of a sudden, the doctors came in and said, uh, 
we're so sorry we did everything we could but she had several heart attacks last night several strokes last night we did everything we possibly could but we could not save her I saw how all of my uh, some of my uncles who were there began to weep in that hospital then I looked at my father who was absolutely broken broken and I saw him in the lobby of that hospital get on his knees and he lifted both hands and he said the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away blessed be the name of the Lord he said thank you Jesus you've been good to us you are holy I find no fault in you I find no fault in you. I wonder if today you would take a, a couple of minutes and just of just introspection in this house. Just look at your own life. Just look at where you are. Just look at how much you complain. And I wonder if you would find a place to go before the Lord and say, Oh God, forgive me. I am the people of Israel. I am those who complain so very much that I forget to acknowledge that you've been so good and so kind and that everything I have received from you I do not deserve. I complain so much and there are people and nations in such a, a worse trajectory of life than I'm in. And yet they're thankful and they're grateful and they're rejoicing. And here I am complaining about things that are so trivial, things that don't matter. Oh, Lord, help us to serve you with gladness, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, without griping, without complaining, without grumbling, without murmuring, without bickering, without backbiting. Help us to have an attitude of gratitude for all that you have done lift your voices and lift your arms unto the lord and all over this building go before him and say god help us here tonight come on help us help us some of you have really got to go before the lord i feel in this place that there are some of us here in this house that you really need to go you know who you are you really need to go before the lord you really need to ask god to forgive you for this attitude for grumbling, my ministry, my, my things, my resources, my life, my body, my family, my education, where I am. Somebody ought to go before the Lord right now and say, oh God, oh God, thank you. You've been more than good to me. You've been better to me than I've been to myself. Thank you, Jesus. You've never let me. You've never left me. You've never let me go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can visit our website or church app if you would like to give. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, like and share it with your friends, and tag us on social media. Because we want to witness with you what God is doing in your life. 
Thank you, and God bless.